Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here, and I have uh, Mr. Dr. Kelly Flanagan here. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Austin. You got all those great books behind you, and we're going to start out a little different. He, we've never met. Uh, mm-hmm. We get introduced through email, and on purpose, I almost don't engage with the people because I want it to be a surprise to me as it is to the guests when I interview, right? Love so it. I'm going to tell him a little story of how this is a full circle moment. Uh, kind of interesting. So when I was 17, I got into a lot of trouble as a kid. And my parents said, look, you need to go to military school, or you need to go to Beaumont. I said, well, I don't know where Beaumont is, but I'm in because it's not military. school." (laughs) Uh, So three months into that, uh, my parents who have never fought ever come to me and say, we're getting a divorce. Mm. Okay, so I'm like, okay, wait. So then I classify in my own head, that I was the reason they got divorced, okay? Mm. Which then introduces me to a crowd where I'm looking for acceptance, which then introduces me to cocaine, meth addiction, mm-hmm. homelessness. Uh, everybody knows this story in my podcast. 20 years, functioning alcoholic, um, mm. you know, all these bad things of all this, you know, walk down. So I'm interviewing a guy I got introduced to. His name is Ken Wimberly. Mm. And we're talking about Ken's, um app that he did and ken and i are talking and sometimes i'm very vulnerable on these podcasts and we got into the story of my father so my father um we basically didn't speak for 20 years um ever um occasionally we went seven years without speaking um you know all this stuff and so after we got done with the podcast ken presses me even harder and says, Austin, I understand where you are mentally with your father, but as a father myself, I'm begging you to find something, something in your heart to try again. Just, mm. just, just try again. This is all around the time that I find out my dad has cancer. Okay. Mm. Um, so Ken says, in order for you to try again, you have to read this book. And so he sends me your book, but here's the problem. I didn't need to read the book to know what the book had inside of it. Mm. The title alone was enough to understand what he meant Mm. by sending it. So you, sir, didn't have to Mm. crack open. And just so we're clear, I only read your book this morning. That's the first time (laughs) I've read it. Before is that podcast. right? I swear to God. I swear to God. Wow. I never cracked it up, but I always put the title where I could see it mm. because I've coached people for six years straight. Mm. And no matter what's going on with them, it comes down to one thing and one thing only. Do they love themselves? Mm. That's right. Okay. So, so Ken prods me. I'm in Costa Rica. I'm walking with my coach. It's 4.30 in the morning. We're walking in his neighborhood and right outside of San Jose. And it hits me. The reason I'm so scared to love my father is because we're the same damn person. 
Mm. (laughs) just wait though it gets so so much more um so me and my fiance are traveling around the country and we're supposed to go see my dad in palm springs where he lives and we're we're literally supposed to see him for the first time like i've seen him for an hour in, in 10 years he calls me the day before wrecked they got covid so mm. I can't go see him. So we cancel the flights. I drive to Arizona. I'm driving through Arizona and he calls me. He says, look, I can't do this. He said, you're right here. This, he goes, I'm, I'll be better in two days. Where are you going to be? I said, I'm going to be in San Clemente, California. Mm-hmm. So they drive to go meet him, meet my stepdad, my stepmom. Mm-hmm. I am a consultant for small business owners and I coach people. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. At that lunch, my dad, for 35 years, has been a consultant for small business owners uh-huh. and all these things. We now talk every day. He sits on the board of my companies, and he's going to wow. be here in three weeks, and we're going to play golf. And I just wow. spent a week in his house in Houston. And I had to share that with you because the power of a mm. title is so yeah. much even greater sometimes in the words. Yeah. that exists within a page now that being said the book is fucking amazing that's a whole nother can <laughs> of worms you. okay <laughs> but what i but what i enjoyed the most in that book and it reminded me of myself was that you are not an author who claims to have it all figured out right right all those stories were about you and how yeah. you shortchange yourself and that's what i appreciated mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. so i just wanted to start off the interview with with how a book a title of a book can can really spark well, some. I will uh, I'll share something with you. I don't think I've ever shared this anywhere else. And then uh, the question for you that the the share is uh, there was a lot of debate uh, prior to the release of the book as because everywhere else on the internet I'm Dr. Kelly Flanagan, right? Mm-hmm. And someone asked me recently. They said uh, there's no doctor on the cover of Lovable or any of your other books, right? Um, and uh, and why is that? And I said, well, there was a debate, and ultimately we decided that if someone picked the book up because it was a doctor who wrote it, someone with some sort of earned authority that they were now going to teach us, they'd be pretty disappointed <laughs> when they opened it up and read about this guy, right? Like, yeah. who's clearly been a mess and is sorting his own stuff out, and he's just he's really essentially writing a book to to his kids uh, and to the little kid in him. Mm-hmm. reassuring all of them that they're they're lovable and they're worthy and that that has huge ramifications for their lives so no dr kelly on the cover and, and i appreciate you you noticing that um that i i don't have much interest in putting myself forward as an expert in that sense um now my question is is it possible to sort of succinctly describe the thing that you had to learn to love about you so that you could love your dad that thing that you have in common that is that needed to happen for you first a, th- a thousand percent. I think, I think ultimately understanding that you, there's a lot behind the story. There's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, pain that my dad held for me that mentally I wasn't prepared to handle right. until I was older. Um, but if I look back at, um, you know, one of my specialties is victimhood. I, I think victimhood mm. is harder is harder to get past than alcohol addiction, drug addiction, all that stuff like that. Um, because I needed, no, here, here's, here's the way I'll describe it the best because it's taken me many years to get here. The mm-hmm. fuel I needed 
to get sober was to hate somebody. Mm. Wow. It was to hate myself, hate everybody that it involved. There was an anger. There was yeah. a visceral change in me that had to happen. I had to blow mm -hmm. it all up. I had to be, um, you know, yes. my, my valley cry during my, my getting sober was nobody cares where Carter and people thought it was directed mm. to them. It was directed toward me. Sure. I had That's to, right. I had to physically go to fucking war with myself mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. say, is this what you want? Now, here's what sucks is that you mm -hmm. do all that change. And what happened to me about a year and a half ago is you keep reaching down in the barrel of yeah. toxic gas to move forward. Mm -hmm. It's not there anymore. That's right. That's you have right. To say, you, That's have to so say, you have to say, oh, maybe I can actually like be happy and like live a life. That's so good, man. It's so true. I think there's so many people probably listening right now who can relate to that and go, oh yeah, I use my, I use my anger. I use my FU. I use my, you know, all of that stuff as, as fuel. Um, but we can, most of us can relate to that fuel running out um, or well, it's, it's not, self imploding it's, on a, itself, blowing up. That's a sprint. That's a sprint fuel that's right. that's to get you to the next level. It's not going to take you to where you need to go. And what yeah, I realized when right. we start when we started buying companies and I'm managing multiple people and now 44 people that I'm in charge mm -hmm. of, if I'm using that, then they're seeing that as a, as a, as a bridge mm -hmm. to what they can use. But when I right. say, you know, Hey dude, like we, I mean, God, we must've had 17 things that happened wrong this morning. And here right. I am, my guys are just, I mean, they're so upset. They're pissed off. They're yelling at each other. And I'm just laughing my butt off, you know, <laughs> you know like lighting the mood. Right. But like, it's taken me so long to get that. But the problem is, is like, I don't, yes, I'm, I recover and I'm in recovery mm. for almost four and a half years now, but I no longer identify with that at all. I'm right. recovered. Right. Man. So at a, recent front row dads retreat with Matt drink on who connected us. Mm -hmm. Um, he, uh, one of our, my friends was there, Mike Wagner, founder of a company called storage rebellion. He, um, he said something that sort of earned him the MVP vote for the retreat from everyone. And, uh, I asked him, we actually ran into each other in the airport on the way to the front row dads retreat. And, and the man was on fire, like on fire in like that, not driven way, but in that peaceful mm -hmm. way. And, and I said to him, um, which is it's has its own drive. I don't mean to imply that it's static, but I, I asked him, dude, what are you doing? And he said, I'm I'm doing everything I've ever done, except I'm doing it now because I love myself instead of mm. trying to fix myself. Right. And boom, right there. So that's the shift that you're describing is that it's not it, it's it's a shift from I'm I'm fixing myself, I'm disliking myself, I'm trying to get away from who I am to I yes. love who I am, and now I'm doing all those. It's things the absence. It's the absence of the run. That's right. Yeah. And but here's the problem, yes. though: when you don't have the run, then you have to sit with yourself. <laughs> you got to with yourself. <laughs> That's right. You know. That's not the I fun part. That's not. No, the fun it's part. not. It's not the fun part. And 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 let it be known, like every day. You know, I have an amazing fiance now. But, you know, I had a 13 year marriage that didn't serve me, you know, at the mm. end there for the last six years. And I met her a month after leaving my wife and she knows, and I know both, I still got a lot of work to do, mm. right? There's a lot of work to do. When it, comes, when it comes to that, but you have to be willing, right? Uh, I have a friend, mm. a good friend, who's a, who's a man's male coach. And some of these guys that are, that are men's coaches in the fitness space are just savages. I mean, these guys, I don't understand right. what they do. But for like three weeks, 
he on purpose didn't work out and he stood in the mm. mirror and, and wow. looked at himself for 10 minutes. And he said, the, um, the, the, the words that were going through my head mm-hmm. were the nastiest stuff. He goes, I would not repeat these words to anybody. And what he realized is that he was working out for his followers. He wasn't working out for himself. There it is. That's such a great, just a metaphor. We all have to have those three weeks in some, right in the middle of our story somewhere where we quit doing all the things that we do to not slow down and not pay attention and not connect with ourselves. And then we have to go through that initial, not forever, but that initial pain point of seeing all the stuff that's going on in there that's driving the running, right? And, uh, and wow, what a beautiful example of that. You did it. Um, he did it in a powerful way. Um, I think that's what I talk about essentially in, in Lovable mm-hmm. is, is the time in my life when I went through that and still have to go through that sometimes. There's always a revisiting of that. Um, but I, one of the things I love about coaching entrepreneurs is entrepreneurs know what's got you this far can't take you the rest of the way. Yeah. Right. So there's just that aware and it's such an essential piece of the journey is to know that this, all this, all that drive, all that energy, all that fight, all that hatred, all of it that got me this far, it's not going to be able to take me the rest of the way. I got to find something else. And sometimes that's motivation enough to slow down. Well, it's interesting, right? And I realized that last week we closed a deal and we bought, it's a long story. It doesn't even get in the whole thing, but we, we mm-hmm. closed on a, a business that a guy retired and we got a great ROI on his, um, on his uh, phone number, the customer list, his tools, all this stuff, right? right? Great yeah. ROI. I worked on it for like two hours. It came to me from one of our sales guy, bam, boom, boom. We did it. They're happy. I'm happy. Everything's great. And I realized that I'm at a different time and space in my career, but also in my life that I have to identify with decisions as work, not mm. work being work. I'm yeah, paid good. to be president mm. and CEO and make the big decision that's going right. to yield us the Haros ROI, but I might do yeah. nothing the rest of the week. Right. Yes. Now, that, who does that mess decisions. with? It messes with me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because our worth is predicated upon how much am I visibly producing so that everybody else can Knows. sort of say, oh, that's his value. Yeah. That's his value. See what he's doing. I know, like, to have to sort of source that value from within and know that the decision is valuable enough. Like, that is a hard transition to make. Because it's not what I found over the time, especially being sober, is it's not what I what I ever what I ask people to do is two things when they when they change careers. The joke with me is if you coach with me, three things are going to happen. One, not on purpose, you're going to get divorced, you're going to move to Europe, or you're going to leave your job. It's as simple as that. And I'll tell it to you on the first session, right? But right. but 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 what I need you to do in the midst of that is create an anchor point to accept. Mm and be ready that you're going to have mm-hmm. to identify with your new identity long before your mm-hmm. actions and your feelings are going to take mm-hmm. up because it's the identity that we lose within that space. Getting sober mm-hmm. is not hard, but mm-hmm. not being identified as the drunk friend anymore. That's the problem. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. What's the identity that we're holding on to? Cause it's all we know ourselves to be. We're nobody without it. Dude, mm-hmm. go hang out, go hang out with your high school buddies that mm. you drink every day with and they, you haven't seen them yeah. in three years and you don't drink anymore. It's not just weird mm. for me. It's super weird <laughs> for them. It's not just, that's right. 
you're they not the like, most uncomfortable one there no they were sure. like who are you you lost 70 pounds and you don't drink anymore and you're sitting in the corner this is really weird for us please uh-huh. you know because yeah. then it makes them look at a mirror into themselves mm. yeah yeah that is um one of the concepts in lovable that we, that i talk about is when we are starting to live into our sense of worthiness um you will lose you will lose places of belonging you will lose circles of belonging because it's going to lead to changes that's going to ask everyone else to sort of look at themselves as well and if they're not ready to live into that worthiness and start to make some of those identity shifts it's gonna be really uncomfortable as you point out and uh yeah and so you know it's it's a there's a pruning that happens at first Mm -hmm. as we enter into that that worthiness um, before our circles of belonging begin to expand again one of my favorite quotes is stop watering the plant next to you long enough to see if it's a weed or a plant oh i like that that's really it's the truth right because Uh, because one of the things my fiance has taught me more than anything is to is a simple lesson but it's the biggest lesson in the world. And I hope it lands for you because it's so yeah. ridiculous when I say it out loud, but it makes so much sense. She taught me that rain is great too. Mm. That's so good. And by rain, you mean- So, so hear me out. She's from, she, she's, from, she's from Seattle. I'm from Texas. Dude, I love uh-huh. the sun, baby. That's I'm a front right. runner. I love the sun. I'm with her. We're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I'm all jazzed up to have a great day with her. We're hiking yes. and it's raining outside. And she goes, wow, what a beautiful day. Mm. I, was, uh, I was asked uh, recently in an interview, like, how would you, like, what is peace? When you say peacefulness, peace, what is it? And the, the answer that came to mind was peace is not resisting any of the human experience, mm-hmm. right? And so we have, to your point, we have experiences that we categorize as good and desirable, sunny days, Texas weather, you know, these sorts of things. And then experiences we categorize as undesirable, rainy days, cold weather, sadness, hardship, you know, uh, pain, all of these things. And what we do is our ego attaches to wanting the, the stuff we decided is good, and it spends its life resisting the things that we've decided are bad. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we, in resistance, resistance to th- what we think is bad is the definition of suffering. If we can no longer resist those things, but we can welcome them in, not have to resist them, not have to avoid them, all of a sudden we can be at peace in any situation because it's not contrary to what we're wanting for right now. We're simply being present to it. We're living it. Uh, and we're figuring out who we are in the midst of this thing. Right. And so I, I the, the concept of rain is good too. I, I, I love it. I think it gets to something really profound. What is the true in your eyes? What is the, what is the difference between worthiness and love? Mm. So I think of love as an action um, and an action that naturally flows from the recognition of worthiness in something. Okay. Um, so if we can, if we can recognize the worthiness in ourselves, then love will be the natural action of loving ourselves. Now, people said, so how do you know if you really, if you, if you've really connected with your sense of worthiness? And I said, there's always one hallmark. You know, everyone else is equally as worthy as you. Uh, they may not be able to see it. 
Mm-hmm. They may not be living into their worthiness, mm-hmm. but you can see through all of the mess. Yes. And you can see the worthiness in them. So suddenly love becomes not just love for my own worthiness, but I love the worthiness in each in each person that I'm running into as well. It sort of flows like the action. Because we're having, you know, um, we're in the HVAC, plumbing, electric, construction space, right? Mm-hmm. And among my other stuff. And, you know, obviously, you know the narrative out there. There's nowhere to hire. There's no good people. You know, right. you hear from everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what I've been doing, this is an interesting tactic. And we hired... We went from 18 to 44 in 100 days. No ads, no nothing. Oh. I hired them myself. My my specialty is talent. I can I can source, find, yeah. polish off the things. What I've been doing is I've been finding the people that aren't qualified for the job, telling them directly mm. to their face they're not qualified, yeah. but I believe yeah. in you, and they're yeah. knocking it out of the park every time because I can – what I, I can That's teach right. everything else. What I can't teach is wanting to get after it, smarts, and mm. loyalty. Everything else I right can Right on, man. Right on. And, and so in that capacity to see the worthiness in yourself is the foundation of the capacity to see it in other people, right? Mm. So here you are able to, to see what other people are capable of because you've first done the work on yourself, whereas everyone else is missing it. They're not seeing it. They're looking at a resume and going, not, not qualified enough. And you can sort of see past those credentials and write into what they're capable of. I think that's beautiful. It's a great way to that book, Who Not How, right? That, that, oh uh, man, that's that it. Gone. That's it. That's I've it. read all. I've read all of Dan Sullivan's books. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a. Uh, you know, I think that we can apply who not you know who not how into our own life, meaning for ourselves, right? And I think mm-hmm. that the number one issue that entrepreneurs have is they talk about everything that they're going to do, I think we need to start from a, the standing point of identifying what we won't do. Mm. Ooh, I like that. Right? The I like whole, that. Say more about my that. Whole, my whole life was predicated mm-hmm. on one thing and one thing only. Mm-hmm. Can I do my job from this mm-hmm. computer? And does it matter <laughs> where this computer is? I heard it on a real estate call mm-hmm. five years ago. What's your number mm-hmm. one goal? I want to be location independent. And I was like, ooh, bam, that's it. Okay. And so what I did is I built my whole life based on a lifestyle, not on Mm -hmm. a business or my talents, right? And what is so messed up, and I probably do an entire book on this, is everything. Mm -hmm. I got kicked out of three kindergartens. I made straight A's without studying. I have a clinical photographic memory. I can recall this conversation, you and I's conversation six months from now on the golf course. Right easy right done done 800 podcasts i can pull it up i know what everybody does where they live what their kids are named Mm. you know i just that's my memory but but everything that i was shit on and i'm using language on purpose everything Mm -hmm. that i was that i was talked down on that people looked down Mm. on me they were mad at me everybody in my life the guidance counselor the schools uh, my parents at the time Mm. they all championed me for now Mm. <laughs> that's right that's so man good. you can talk to anybody man you can network like anybody yes. whoa you have a great personality whoa you bring the energy those were all mm-hmm. things that they tried to put me in a damn box since i was one years old well, it's very inconvenient when you're three years old and you're you're demonstrating the the qualities of an entrepreneur yeah, and god, bless, all the god bless mother and dad yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's true. right. I did true, true story. True story. Because I know I'm going to send yeah. this to him afterwards. 
So my yeah. dad was the, wasn't the number one dentist in all of uh, Texas for years, like 40 plus oh, years, wow. right? Okay. Uh, sold his practice two years ago. Once I started running this uh, small business, this, this business, mm. I called him the first day and I said, hey man, you are out of your mind. I was like, mm. the fact that you did this for 48 years, I have so much yeah. respect <laughs> through the ups and wow. downs of the economies and the employees and the customers. Uh -huh. God bless you. I'm a hundred days in That's and I'm like, I have a, <laughs> I have a whole new level of respect, you know? And I, and I think, I think that we, we, we lose the humanity in parents, mm. kid to parent relationship, right? Oh, meaning, meaning that the parent doesn't have like any room for anything, doesn't have anything, right? Doesn't have anything, doesn't have, can't grow, always has to say the right yeah. thing, you know? Oh. Like, you know? Yeah, I so my um my fifteen year old our oldest is nineteen. He's out of the house now. Um, he's uh he told us when he was in eighth grade, by the way, that he um he was not planning to go to college. He was going to become a world famous stand up comedian, and he's now nineteen, living in Chicago, attending Second City, and chasing. His oh my dream. god! Um, Look fully, at this guy. Fully supporting himself. Yeah, he's he's a pretty cool guy. My 15-year-old, um, the other day, you know, he's just short of his driver's license, which is like, the, I think 15 is the worst age, yeah, right? Because you yeah. feel like you should have all the control and freedom, but no one will give you that driver's license yet, you know? And um, anyways, was asking him to sort of participate in the family life. Hey, can you, you know, garbage, can you get out and water that garden? I mean, all these things, it's grumble, grumble, and like resist, resist. And then, you know, an hour later, he comes to me, he says, hey, dad, uh, can you give me a ride to the Y? And you know, I just—it was out of my mouth before I could even think about. It. I go, dude, I love you unconditionally, but I don't drive you unconditionally. Like this, the, the reactions I got from you over the last hour, like they don't make me want to drive you. And and in a, in a sense, that was an impulsive reaction on my part. But it was also an awareness that I'm coming to at this point of parenthood that you know it's a mistake to disappear as a self as a parent. Yes, you know. That we're this is like home family is the training ground for learning to be in companionship and in community and in collaboration. Mm -hmm. And and if if we disappear as, as selves, if we are, don't have a, sort of a human um, sort of identity that we are we're inhabiting with our kids, then we're we're just we're just making it too easy on them to skate through life without learning how to be in in, in relationship. And so these days, like I tell, like I love you totally, but relationships are, you know, they're, they're, there's a mutuality to them and a reciprocality. And, um, and I need you engaging in that. So that's, um, and anyways, that, that, that came to mind when you, I love you that. shared that about parents and humanizing our parents. Right. So I have two concepts for you. One, I think could be relatable in your book. And, and it was, it was, and, and I've never, I've never publicly shared it to anybody. There's only one other person that knows what happened to me. He was a coach in, um, the younger group I was in go abundance um, said it to me. And, and like, I literally had to leave work because it was such a aha moment for me. Um, what I realized uh, during the journey of trying to heal with my father wound and, and my relationship with my father, any man, meaning you, we could have met uh, seven years ago, mm. any mentor I had, they were on a false pedestal of expectation mm. and mm. unknowing to themselves. And I would beg exactly. them to let me down so I could continue to feed my victimhood. And that was oh, my wow. rinse and repeat my entire life. 
man, how if we are not digging into those wounds and how they're continuing to linger with us and how we're continuing to play out those habits, um, how are we ever going to get conscious and unstuck, right? And the the first um, the first line of my my new novel is the past is behind us, but it's also always within us. Mm-hmm. And and if we're not aware of that reality that those past wounds and the patterns that sort of of coping that that resulted from it, if we're not aware that those are continuing to influence on a day to day, even moment to moment basis, then um, then we're really not free, are we? We are sort no. of a slave to what we're not paying attention to there. And there was a guy, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, he's kind of a jerk, but I, God bless the jerk, right? Because uh, I don't know <laughs> if, right. he, if he, I don't know if he skates between jerk and kind of great. It's a thin line, so it's all relative. But uh, it can't be said, a thin line. He, yeah, he said to me, he said, "Hey, man, like all this is great, like I get it. Mm-hmm. These people offended you and hurt you, and you and you're upset mm-hmm. about them. That's cool. I get that, but not once." In three months, have I heard you take any ownership of anything? Mm, He goes, wake the fuck up, dude. He goes, read this book and shut the fuck up. And that book was uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Man, and you read it? Uh, Yes, I listened to it. Yeah, Um, listened to it, yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things where where I, I would say, among many other things, it was a catalyst to my sobriety. Um, because it, yeah. it, because like I said, I said it in the beginning, victimhood is almost mm. impossible. It's own, it's, I call it bunker, uh, therapy. Mm. Man, I, your willingness to sort of, to stay in that and hear that and, and follow up on that feedback. I mean, I think there, there comes this moment where someone what we want to pay attention to is the moments where someone gives us feed the feedback we least want to hear. Right. And I don't know exactly what that feedback means for us, but if we least want to hear it, it means something really important. And it's really important Mm -hmm. for us to slow down around that, dig into that and discover what that might have for us. And you were willing to do that in that moment. A lot of us, man, it's just full guns blazing. Do you want to know how I used to introduce myself to networking events? Yeah. True story. Yeah. Serious. I used to go, Hey, uh, former meth addict, homeless, divorced. Nice to meet you. My name's Austin Lenny. <laughs> because I realized it. if it didn't know me anymore, that it would allow that person to open up and share some of their stuff. And I just dropped that. Under the right. Right. Like if you, if you, if you continue to move forward with even a modicum of shame about any of that, well, that's feeling true. like you need to hide it. I got to go read your chapter. I got to go read your chapter again on shame because it made me realize that shame, uh, external, internal, but also fictitional Mm -hmm. shame Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. I would say, the root of 90% of everything. That's right. And I agree with you. Like, that was the fundamental turning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, shame, if shame is the message that you are not good enough exactly the way you are, to be loved and to belong. Only one. It is You're the entirely... only one. Yeah. Dude, my favorite yeah. thing with client goes, I go, who's telling, who's telling you this? Who's saying right. this to you? Talk to me. Tell me. Mm. Then record them if they're saying it. Yes. No, yeah. they're not saying it. And then when you drill down, you drill down, you drill down. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the two, yes. two things that'll ch- that changed my life when it comes to podcasting. I can't control what you hear. Mm. All I can control is what I say, but also I can't control when you hear it, but I can control Mm. when I say it. That's right. One of the scariest things for me, especially in coaching, 
is to be effed over by clients, mm. but still know two years later that my message hit them. Mm. And so my producer wow. sent me a video because he produces his podcast as well, a guy that I'm not a fan mm. of. Yeah. That owes me tons of money. And he said, <laughs> he said, Austin, I want to ask you a question. This was 5 a.m. He lives in Spain. I live here. So I got the message mm. at 5 a.m. when I'm walking. He said, let me ask you a question. When I met you, you told me that your number one why in life is to impact all in every way, in every moment. That's what you said to me. Mm. And he said, if that's the case, then who gives a shit what happened? Listen to this. And wow. I listened to it and I, I, I lost my mind. One of the, what you're getting, I love what you said. I can only control what I say and when I say it. I can't control how other people receive it, when they receive it. You know, one of the, one of the soul sucking and energy draining realities of living in shame and the belief that we're not good enough is that we are constantly trying to control and manage the impression we're making on other people to just sort of improve our standing a little bit, a little bit more. So we're always trying to control what's going on in another person's experience of us, which number one, like it's a non-winning proposition. You can't do it. Um, number two, there's a ton of energy going into those efforts to control what everybody thinks of us. And, uh, and when we can take that energy back, pour it into loving ourselves and loving them, no matter what they think of us, um, then we're free. I, smallest example of this. I had this, I, I was called out on this at uh, a front row dad's retreat last October, that when my daughter gets home from school, and I start peppering her with questions. She's 13 now. Hey, what, how did school go? What did you guys do? Who'd you sit with at lunch? Would you guys play a recess? You know, with the boy. that part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to get her to understand, to, to, to know that I am an interested father. I want her to know that her dad was interested. I'm trying to put into her head the thought, my dad was really yeah. interested yeah. in me, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so no wonder that my 13-year-old so shuts it's so, down. It's so ridiculous. It's so sick. Yeah. And, and so no wonder she shuts down when I start asking her questions about school. She's like, no, like I'm not playing this game this, where you're controlling. And I, no, not interested. And, and so I came home from that retreat um, having to, to, again, sit in my worthiness as a dad and know that there are times when I am very interested dad and there's times when I screw that up and I get really distracted and in in both cases I'm lovable um but I've got to come home sit in that worthiness and when she gets home from school just ask is there anything you want to share with me about school today and when I can give her that freedom right to be in control of what she shares or what she doesn't ironically more often than that she shares a lot more <laughs> so something just hit me and I guarantee mm -hmm. you when I say this you're going to understand what I'm talking about because I just thought about you writing all these amazing books and then screwing that yeah. up and getting called out. So I go, so I'm the, you know, I'm the mindset coach guy and I'll go on the golf course with like eight other entrepreneurs and then I'll lose my shit. And they're like, well, you don't, well, you don't look like you're constructing your life now, do you? And I'm like, oh, so I secretly, I secretly made the most insane accountability of my entire life. You know, that is hilarious. Um, it well, and this is the alcoholics mindset golf, like golf course doesn't count. I don't think it should count for anybody. <laughs> like no one should be judged based upon their behavior on the golf course. Right. <laughs> um, but I, so that's funny because um, I, Caitlin, my daughter and I, we, we each joined, a, we, just the two of us joined a golf club this year. Uh, she has to do it, uh, figure it's something that she and I can do together, have a, a daddy daughter thing. 
I am so conscious. It's it's such an interesting, right? Because you're in your head going, this is how I would normally behave on a golf course when I play like that. And this is the way I want my daughter to understand. I mean, she's literally learning lessons about a person's, your, your worthiness right now. Mm -hmm. Am I angry at myself and angry at life because a little tiny white ball didn't go exactly where I wanted it to? Mm -hmm. My goodness, is that the, is that the lesson well, that I want to send her? I would say, I would say the moments and where, where do you live? We live uh, west of Chicago, about 75 okay. miles, tiny little town. Perfect. Uh, two of my business partners probably live in your same neighborhood. So uh, oh, nice. yes. uh, when you go play, this is really, I, I know you, you know what I'm going to talk about. When it, there's something to be said when you go play a course that's so ridiculously nice that it doesn't mm. matter how bad you're playing because it's so damn beautiful. Like I went and played Band that's of right. Dunes. Uh, on the Oregon yeah. coast, it was 80 degrees and sunny. I was with the whole family mm -hmm. and a caddy. I don't even think I swung a club on the last three holes because we were walking yeah. in the ocean and I was like, they're like, do you want to play? And I'm like, no, I'm just taking it in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah well, who, who was it that said golf is a good walk spoiled? In that case, like it, the, the setting was nice enough. It didn't spoil the walk. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, we could talk. I, I could talk golf well, all day. It's one of my favorites. Well, you know, and so, you know, what I find, and this is relatable to what you've been sharing, what I find the hardest thing that I've been talking to my friends about, a lot of my friends have very stressful jobs. We're talking about a guy who manages mm -hmm. um, 5 billion, another one who, you know, lends 100 billion, and they've been working from home and they have young kids and here mm -hmm. they are yelling at their, you know, COO in, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm you know, at, 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 you know, and then the moment they walk out and the kids around their ankles and there's no mm. separation. They used to have that drive home, right. right? What is your advice to parents? Me as well, dude, I am. Mm -hmm. So my work is 24 seven, meaning like I can do it on Sunday. Right. I can that's do it on right. Saturday. Mm -hmm. my, so like, there's no separation. I'm in my office right now. That's at home. I have a yep. real hard turn time flipping it, like delineating differences right? As an entrepreneur, you're yeah, on. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a great question. So, and I'll say the other side of that is I'm going to get this from my family because I just in the last year started working fully from home for the first time, closed my brick and mortar therapy practice and shifted to online coaching. And their, their sentiment is, geez, you work all the time. You know, you're always neglecting us. And I'm like, I'm working half the hours I used to. It's just that every single one of those hours, you feel like I'm in another room ignoring you. Whereas yeah. in the past, dad was just off at work. No big deal. He's, he's earning mm -hmm. for the family, right? So the the work at home thing is a real struggle. And it's a struggle on both ends. Um, for us to not have a buffer between between work life and home life. Um, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh Let's set the goal of showing up to that call with the COO over in the Ukraine and with the exact same energy we want to show up to our kids with. Mm -hmm. Let's do that so that the gap that we have to close between the end of the workday and walking up the stairs or whatever isn't that huge, number one. Number two, if you need a little bit of time to close that gap, I've started to do this. Um, I commute by going for a walk around the block or two. Yeah. Um, so build in, build in a commute of some sort um, and probably in both directions, to be honest with you. Um, a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon, um, because, and just because give we, yourself we think, the space to close that. Because and this is this is one of my things with and you front row dad. By the way, just so we're clear, front row dads, mm -hmm. and I'll just say this because Mike mm -hmm. Higgins is a good friend of mine. Front row dads is the mm -hmm. greatest group that exists on the planet. And the moment <laughs> that the moment that I start having a baby, 
Then we find out we're pregnant. Oh. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. The moment I'm we in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, front dad. row expecting dad. I'll be in that group. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> just amazing human beings. Everybody I've met. One of the things that I heard the other day, and this is something I drill into my, my clients, you're two things. One, you think that all the success that you need is you put it back mm. on your family and your kids. Okay. Mm. Bullshit. It's mm -hmm. because you and for you alone in the moment that you Man, accept that. That's huge. Okay, bam. Second thing is you're acting like they want three months off, no cell phone, no work. They're asking for 45 minutes. Pull it that's together, it. bro. Yeah. That's it. The the first piece of what you just said is not said enough. Um, I We hear it all the time. I hear it in my own head, but I did all this for you today. I did all this for the family. I'm providing for the family. And the reality is if we deleted all of them we'd still do the same thing we're still driven for you know yeah just such an, uh, an important important observation you make there and if we can own that mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we don't feel like the family owes us something at the end of the day because we were just out doing this for them mm -hmm. now it's time to pour into them as well and like you said yeah 30 45 minutes of quality attention goes a long way goes a long way dude my well, fiance would yeah. beg me to go to work because she's like you're a nightmare when you're off for a couple of days <laughs> that's right that's right you know? now what i what i will say is you give your family you give your kids in particular 30 to 45 minutes of quality attention and it won't be enough mm -hmm. because if they get 30 to 45 minutes of quality attention from a parent they're gonna want more that feels great yeah, yeah. that feels really 100%. good right yeah and so so how often do we conclude our really intentional hour of time with our kids by getting frustrated that they want even more? <laughs> like, like we're not good enough now because they want more of us. And it's the other way around. It's like, no, dude, they, they want you around more because that was really good. You did great. So affirm that for both of you. So something I want to share with you, and you were talking about how I take feedback. So I've only heard it one other time. It was a guy from Million Dollar Listing, funny enough on a Gary V podcast who said it. Mm. And I almost fell out of my chair because it was how I lived my entire life, but I never mm. heard anybody else describe it. And I'd like to hear mm. your thoughts on it. One of the greatest things, bad partnership, good partnership, lose money, win money, don't matter. The number one thing that any business partner, anybody that works for me says, will give you feedback. And at 7 a.m. the next morning is, is fixed. Like boom, wow. it's done. That's so awesome. the way I live my life, it's as you and I are having this conversation, my soul and my consciousness is standing right next to you. Mm, I'm yeah. correcting in the moment going, oh, yeah. oh, uh. and, and, yeah. and what my fiance has had to teach people is he's not, not listening. He's a bartender mm. for 20 years. He sold wine. He hears everything, <laughs> right. but I'm, but I'm always correcting. And yes, I could, and yes, mm. I could work on being more present. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But if you tell me at nine o'clock, hey, I didn't like, you tell me at 9 p.m. at night, I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. When I show up the next day at 8 a.m., that's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, one of the ways that I couch that is uh, my brain is excellent at problem solving. I love problem solving. Um, I think my true self is a good problem solver. And so when someone says something to me, uh, I, a to-do list populates in my head. I go, Ooh, I can solve that and that and that and that for them. And so what's interesting is that um, I got really defensive for a long time about the way I would get distracted in conversation or I'd lose presence or someone would say, you're not really here. Um, and so my wife would call me out on that. 
I get defensive, you know, I'm so present, I'm so dialed in. It took me owning the fact that that's the way my brain works for me to, to express it and be vulnerable about that with her. And, and so now like she'll, she'll say, she'll start to say something. She'll go, I don't want to create a to-do list for you until tomorrow. And she won't. Let's talk about that first thing tomorrow morning. It's pretty cool. Um, And then sometimes though she'll use it to her benefit. She wants something. So she'd be like, yeah, I just wish this was this way. Yeah. And then she just walks out of the room. No, no, no. There's nothing. And and you, (laughs) there's nothing greater and then understanding that the woman in your life, right? I've done 800 podcasts. I've spoken on stage a few times. Um, I'm running, you know, a million dollar business yeah. means jack shit to my fiance. Exactly. <laughs> the moment yeah. we got together, she stopped listening to podcasts. Uh, nothing like, uh, I don't, like, like, like before, just... beforehand, I was the, you know, I was the guy that motivated yes. her, you know, but now it's like, I'm not that impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you need, That's right. you need that humbleness in your life. Right? Uh, you need it. You know, who was that? Uh, I think it was. Bruce Springsteen is being interviewed by Howard Stern and Howard Stern like is like, man, your kids, do they just love to come to your to your shows? And Bruce Springsteen goes, he goes, Oh, kids? He says, they'll they'll come watch 50,000 people boo you or criticize you. They don't want to see 50, you know. And he said, kids gotta they gotta go find their own heroes. Their their dad doesn't uh, have to be it, you know. And, so and I think that's the reality. Like when people live with you 24-7, you're you're just not going to spend much time on a pedestal, right? No, that's gonna, thousand percent. Gonna and, be, and nor would yeah. I, because one of right. the things that I promised myself I wouldn't do, and it's very hard too, mm-hmm. is I promised I would not be my fiance's coach or problem solver. Mm, that's good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it was the reason I got divorced in the first place, but it sure as hell didn't help. <laughs> well, let me tell you about the first 10 years of my marriage. Cause I'm, you know, Clinical psychology PhD specializing in marital conflict. Can you imagine what I was like to live with yeah, being married to me? A nightmare. A what nightmare. Do you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? And she's like, Shut yeah, up. I just, yeah. I, I just told myself that if I just stayed calm in conflict, you know, then I was the winner. Oh, I was that's doing even it worse. That's even worse. It's worse. <laughs> it's worse. It's, it's so condescending. Not yeah. to mention the fact that my wife is a, she's a, she's a spark plug. She's a fighter. Like if you're staying yeah. calm, she thinks you don't care. No, you know, I told you that my yeah. fiance taught me that rain's beautiful. The number one thing she also taught me is that we can fight and still be in love. That's right. That's right. I never knew yeah. that in my entire life. It was oh, we fight, so I disappear. And she's like, yeah. look, mother, this I'm being 100%. She's half Mexican. Yeah. I'm being 100% serious. Yeah. I love you, but I want to punch you in the throat right now. And she's yeah, like, but right. know that down there, I still love you but this yes. doesn't work for me. And like, man, that's it's a, there's a, there's a tipping point. I, I tell this to couples all the time. There's a tipping point in marriage when the biggest truth about the relationship isn't the fight you're in, but that, you know, you'll get through it and be closer as a result. Ooh. Like and that's scary because then I have to be, mm-hmm. then, then she like, here's what people don't understand. And I'll tell her right to her face. She loves me so much. It scares the shit out of me. Mm. Like I've never been loved like that ever. Uh, right. Like I've never yes. been loved like that. My mom was hardcore. My ex-wife yeah. was hardcore. And yeah. like when I got separated from them, mm. I went, this is a true story. Dead serious. Mm-hmm. Got separated from my wife, my, my ex-wife. We had 30 or 45 days where we weren't talking. I got in the car to drive to Austin and mm-hmm. I drove to California instead. This is a true story. 
Swear wow. to God. So for 45 days, I visited my friends in Malibu. I was in Joshua Tree. And here's a true mm. story. I swear to God, this is 100% true. For 35 days straight, I didn't run into another male. And I accidentally, randomly ran into like seven different women and hung out with them. It was the craziest wow. thing in the world, healing my mother wound. And yep. everybody asked me, they said, who are you traveling with? And I said, dude, I met this badass motherfucker. He's huh. sitting right next to me and his name's Austin Lenny. And I can't wait to get to that. Uh, I love it. That's awesome. I love it. And it's the truth, right? How, you know, when the you last said, time? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said she loves me so much, it scares me. And what made me think of is like, we have our little go-to tricks in relationships that will push 99% of people away when it feels mm -hmm. like they're getting too close, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Too close to that stuff that we're not real confident about or we're still ashamed of. She loves you too much to get pushed away. <laughs> you know, so she's going to keep on coming. <laughs> and, and, but, but, but hey, just so we're clear, same, same for me. Same for me. Mm -hmm. When we first right. got together, crazy childhood, never had a mom or dad, raised by our yeah. grandmother, the whole nine. She yeah. was fighting me away and I'm going, eh, yeah, it's not working for me. And I would just be like, I'm not going to address this, right? But I've done yeah. enough work to know that's not directed towards me. It's directed towards trial, right? right? Because I right. think I think that, you know, reading your book this morning or listening to it while I was walking, I thought to myself this one thought. Hmm. And I had, a, I had a friend tell me this five years ago. I can't remember exactly the phrase he used, but um, he said that if you can spend your life walking around looking at everybody directly across from you and know that you're nearly just talking to their little child self mm. you can have you can have peace right in your on. heart right on absolutely and the this the piece that i would add to that is <clears throat> if when they're acting like that jerk you can you can know that they're just protecting the little child inside of them then, right, you know, right before this changer. interview, Mel Robbins was interviewing. I saw this clip. I sent it to like 10 people because she said that there's this lady at my book signing who was had a bad attitude. And she goes, mm. well, she doesn't have a bad attitude. That's just, that's just despair. And Mel, yeah, and, despair. And, Mel and Mel goes, Mel goes, hold on. What? And she goes, oh, she's not actually a mean person. She's just fighting for her life. Wow. So good. There's a story I share in Lovable, a little anecdote told by a guy named Peter Rollins about this uh, Texas oilman who discovers he's got a long lost cousin, Seamus, over in Ireland. He wants to go get to know him. So he goes over there and Seamus is showing him around some little property in, in, uh, in Ireland. And the Texan says, oh, you should see my property in Texas. I can't even drive my car to the edges of it. And Seamus looks at him and says, ah, my car's broken too. And, and, and like, I, I can't tell you how many times a day when somebody shows up with all of their bluster and ego, I just think my car's broken too. Yeah. You know, well, you know like, it's that just was, that, that little was, kid that was, underneath. See, you see, this is interesting that we're having this conversation. That was my entire makeup and personality for my entire life. It was, yeah, it was let the rhino, they call me the rhino, mm -hmm. let the rhino be loud, bolsterous, run over 90% of the people until a coffee shop in San Antonio, Texas on a Thursday mm. when I ran into my friend accidentally and we were supposed to meet for two minutes and she, uh, we talked for three hours. I cried 16 times and she right. said, let me ask you a question. These are her exact words. She goes, Austin, there is no chance that there's a part of me that doesn't believe that you will be successful. She goes, I know that. I know mm. it. I see it in your intentions. But I'm letting you know right now, when you're on top of that mountain, 
Mm. Who's going to be there to support you? Right. She goes, you're nothing right. more than a bloody knuckle climber. Mm. Whoa. You have had some, you've had some people who have been willing to tell you the truth. And I, st- and I, st- and I, st- because I'm willing to tell them the truth. Well, I was going to say, and I think people know when someone's ready to hear it or willing to receive That's, it. That's, let yeah. me take, we just talked for an hour. That's the most mm-hmm. important statement that you said yeah. ever yeah. Yeah. when they're yeah. willing to hear it. Not when yeah. you want to say, can it. you, can you show up to your life with the energy that lets people know you're willing to hear the hard things so you can yeah. actually get the essential feedback you need to keep growing? Yeah. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, once again, you said it again, willing to show up, willing yeah. to show up, right? Yeah. Willing to show up because here's what's crazy, right? Is that when you get sober, this is my, one of my good friends I interviewed, he's beaten cancer twice. And my joke with wow. him on the podcast, they gave him a 3% chance to live. I get on the podcast. I said, well, when you beat it, I said, they just put a million bucks in your bank. They were riding. Uh, you had a parade down the street. He goes, no, I had ass loads of fucking medical bills and, bills. and all this mm-hmm. shit. You know, what's fucked up. And I'll say this and maybe I'll send it to him. I won't. He fucked me over big time. Biggest fuck mm. over my entire life. But what wow. I realize right now in this exact moment mm. is he was just fighting for his life. He was just fighting for his life. That's right. That's right. And I finally just mm-hmm. forgave him. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Still Man, upset, but forgave that? him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, forgiveness is a uh, definitely an iterative thing, right? There's yeah. that, there's that, win, there's that wisdom. We'll let it, we'll and let then, it touch. We'll let it touch like a, a couple months from now. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. It's when the hurt, the hurt wells up again, you got to forgive it all yeah. over again. So yeah, that's right. So if people want to read your books, they want to reach out to you. How would mm. they do that? Yeah. Uh, drkellyflanagan.com is my website. drkellyflanagan.com. Um, if they want to find directly lovable and go to lovablethebook.com lovablethebook.com um my new novel is out now it uh, is essentially lovable in fiction form um and so it's called unhiding of the unhiding of elijah campbell go to unhidingbook.com um right now i'm writing my next non-fiction book what i would consider the closest thing to a sequel to lovable i'm writing it it's a serial on substack and people can read it for free um and that's at drkellyflanagan.substack.com so if anyone can keep track of all those urls uh, they're better better people than me (laughs) you know uh i knew it was going to be good uh it was better than i thought uh Hmm. i'm very excited to uh come to your neck of the woods and take you to lunch uh at some I'd point love to do that, uh yeah, you know so one of my greatest quote two two okay, first of all my favorite quote that i think you'll resonate with is uh george uh john bernard shaw 1934 mm. poet he said the single greatest problem with communication is the mm. illusion that it's taken place Ooh, he's good isn't he i use yeah. it like 24 yeah. 7 okay but but what i say to you is john maxwell says and i've read all john maxwell books he said the number one issue with writing a book is the moment that you put the words in writing that your mm. viewpoint on the words change so it's hard you have to let go oh. but right what on. i say to you is if you never decided to put pen to paper then this mm. conversation might have never happened that's right that's right yeah Thank you for the way that you showed up to this conversation. I mean, it made it a, truly a delight for me to, to, to talk today. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Guys, if you got some uh, 
value from this, send it to a friend, and we'll see you next time.